If you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter, we're going to use verse 13, a very short verse there as a text. And I'm going to share with you several verses of Scripture leading up to this that there's so many that would just take too much time to try to turn to them all, so I'll read them. But you go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 16 and 13. And if you remember a few weeks ago, we began a series called Ladies and Gentlemen. And I know the sisters have just been gritting their teeth with all the stuff that I've said about the ladies and the young ladies and the older ladies. And now they're just ready for me to tear into the men. Well, here we go. (laughs) This sermon is entitled Looking for a Few Good Men. I borrowed that from the Marines. (laughs) Looking for a Few Good Men. And as you Park yourself there at 1 Corinthians 16 and 13. I want you to listen to these verses as we go through several and I'll make some comments. And we're going to get to 1 Corinthians 16. This is from 2 Samuel 10 and 12 when they were going out to battle. Be of good courage and let us play the men for our people and for the cities of our God and the Lord do that which seemeth him good. The corresponding verse for that in 1 Chronicles 19 and 13 says this. Be of good courage and let us behave ourselves valiantly for our people and for the cities of our God and let the Lord do that which is good in his sight. It was interesting to me when I studied this that the phrase behave valiantly is the same word or phrase as we find in 2 Kings 4 and 8 with the great Shunammite woman. You remember that message a couple weeks ago? Make room for the prophet. It says that she constrained the prophet to stay there. She was valiant in maintaining his presence there. It's the same word. I just find that interesting how the word connections in the word of God. It's the same Hebrew word. When the warriors go out and say, let us behave ourselves valiantly. Let us constrain ourselves to be men. It's the same thing as what the woman did, the great woman did, when she constrained or valiantly imposed upon the prophet to stay. Isn't that interesting, the connections there? You know, a word used in a different context, one in the, in the context of warfare, the other in the context of just preparing a meal for someone. That's amazing, isn't it? Now, the title of the message is Looking for a Few Good Men. Some of these names that I'm going to mention to you, you younger guys, unless you do a lot of binge watching of old shows, you're not going to know any of these, but you can Google it just like that, but not during the service, okay? Wait till after. (laughs) Okay, do we as men, as we speak to the men, to the young men, the boys even, do we want to be a a man with an attitude like John Wayne? (laughs) Do we want to be a man with a body like Rocky? (laughs) Funny little side note, the other day we were in our practice and uh, Sister Maggie reached out. She was tired, reached out, and made a good hit on a ball. And I said, Sister Maggie, you're like Rocky. And she goes, who? <laughs> I'm sure she's found out who that is by now. But in my day, you know, Rocky was a big deal. Sylvester Stallone. You know, do we want to be a man with that kind of a John Wayne attitude? By the way, if you look at John Wayne's personal life, it was a mess. If you look at Rocky's personal life, it was a mess. Think about how in our media that we've gone from Andy Griffith as a father to modern family. The, the terrible, horrible depiction of fathers that's on a show like that, which I don't watch, I just read about it. We've gone from my three sons to a guy named Al Bundy in the 90s. We've gone from John Walton to Homer Simpson. 
and from Charles Ingalls of Little House on the Prairie and Award Cleaver, you know, from Leave It to Beaver to fill in the blank. Is there, ev- is there even a, a father or a man out there that can be looked to in the media to say, hey, this is the kind of guy that I want to be? You see? So God is looking for a few good men. So let's talk about manliness. And I'm talking about biblical manliness. I don't mean uh, chauvinism. I don't mean a John Wayne attitude. I don't mean a, a rocky body or anything like that. We're talking about biblical manliness. And it's been lost today in a world of feminism and sensitivity. There's no question about it. As a matter of fact, the only remnants of what we would think of as manliness today has been brought down into twisted ideas, you know, of hunting, fishing, and sports. (laughs) You know, there's nothing wrong with hunting and fishing, and there's nothing wrong with sports. But if that's our idea of manliness, then we are so far away from the Word of God. It's been twisted into activities. As a matter of fact, this goes a little beyond just the message to the men, but you think about how the gender roles are reversed today. You know, young girls want to dress and look like boys, and boys want to dress and look like girls. You see? That's a message for another time, and it's so ridiculously politically incorrect that if I try to put this on Facebook, they probably put me in Facebook jail. (laughs) Matter of fact, I've got some good primitive Baptist preacher friends who have been put in Facebook jail. (laughs) I told him I'd come bail them out anytime. <laughs> but you understand, this is such a big subject that it's really hard. I ask you to pray for me because, number one, it's really hard not to sound mean when you preach something like this. And number two, it's really hard to just comprehend the scope of how lost we are in this area. Do I point to this? Do I point to this? I mean, do I point to everything? Just have a big shotgun, Gatlin gun type approach? You know, it's very difficult. So we're going to try to keep it pointed to one or two things today. Now listen to these verses. Isaiah 3 and 12, the Lord said, As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, they which lead thee cause thee to err and destroy the way of thy paths. Can we not say that we're living in a time like that, where children are the oppressors? And women rule over us. And it sounds like I'm a chauvinist when I say that. (laughs) But the problem with it is we're talking about biblical manliness, biblical leadership. What does the Word of God say about that? Did you know that just last week that children, very soon children in California, can separate from their parents if they, the, the parents do not support their gender identity or gender preference or their move to gender transition? There's a law that's being passed that the governor signed into law in California where a child can separate themselves from their parent in that scenario. Isn't that crazy? Children are their oppressors, you see. It's very dark. It's very sad. I tell you, child of God, there's hope. (laughs) And it's found in biblical femininity, and it's found in biblical masculinity. Okay? This isn't the first time that God's been looking for a few good men. Okay, this isn't the first time in history. Listen to these verses. We're going to get to 1 Corinthians 16, I promise you. Stay there. Psalm 12 and 1. Help, O Lord, for the godly man ceaseth. That's back in the days of David. Isaiah 41 and 28. For I beheld, and there was no man, even among them, and there was no counselor, that when I asked of them could answer a word. Isaiah 59 and 14. And judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Does any of this ring a bell or sound familiar? Yea, truth faileth, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him. And he saw that there was no man. 
and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness that it sustained him. When God could find no man on the planet to look to and say, there's nobody that will stand up to me, the Lord just looked to his own arm. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the man Christ Jesus. Isn't it interesting that it was a man <laughs> that brought us salvation, right? It's the man Christ Jesus, the most, the most manly man that has ever been. If you have in your mind a skewed idea of, of the man Christ Jesus because of the way that religion has been feminized over the last hundred years or more, where it's kind of been turned over to the, to the female gender, and you think, well, that's the only people that really can identify with, with Jesus Christ. Or you've seen pictures painted where it shows Jesus as some thin, emaciated man. Nothing could be further from the truth. He was the most manly man that has ever been. He didn't have a John Wayne attitude, and he didn't have a Rocky Balboa body. <laughs> okay? The most manly man that has ever lived. Ezekiel 22 and 20. Listen to this. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the lamb that I should not destroy it, but I found none. This is not the first time in history that God is looking for a few good men. And I trust that I'm speaking to many young men that want to be godly men. And I'm speaking from the Word of God about what a godly man is. Now listen, from pop culture, you notice how movies and literature like the Hunger Games, they have a female hero in that. You understand what I'm talking about? You know, I've joked and said, I can't even remember the names, but from the Hunger Games to all the others that are very much like the Hunger Games... <laughs> You know, most of them have a female lead this day and time. There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. Now, when I was growing up, we had male leads. And I'm not saying, you know, the John Wayne male lead was the, the one to follow. I don't mean that, but it was just, there's been a transition from male leads, male heroes, to female heroes. That's just the way it is. I don't know if any of you watched the new Lord of the Rings series that's on Amazon Prime. I've been sleeping through some of that. It's very boring. <laughs> but... Number one, it's boring because Tolkien didn't write it, okay? But listen, it's thick with female leads. I don't know if you saw The Lord of the Rings that Tolkien wrote that was put into picture. And listen, I'm not saying this is a slam on the females, but they had to embellish the females in The Lord of the Rings trilogy and then in The Hobbit trilogy. They had to create a female lead. It wasn't in Tolkien's. It's not because Tolkien hated women, okay? But even in the Lord of the Rings series, I mean, it's just, it's just thick with these female leads and the females are giving the battle speeches. Whereas <laughs> those of you that saw the Lord of the Rings would see the men that gave the battle speeches from Aragorn to others that were in those great classics turned into movies. You see, we're living in a different time when because of the feminist agenda, because of the things that we see going on around us, the way the culture is going is just trying to kill men. Did you know that? <laughs> as a matter of fact, I don't know that this is providential or not, but as I was studying on this last week, and I just happened to be flipping through the news channels, there popped on one of the news channels a documentary that's coming on called The Death of Men. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's ironic. I'm not the only one thinking about these things. Now, I don't know if that's providential or not. But I want to read you a quote from a speech given by Mark Stein, who was a columnist, author, and Canadian citizen residing in America. This is from 2007. I know it's dated. It's 15 years old. But listen to this. He gave the speech at the Free Market Forum. And speaking of Canada, his nation, a nation that once thrived on manly virtues of a rugged life in the Northwoods, right? And this is a quote from him. 
but rather that a once manly nation, Canada, has undergone a remarkable psychological makeover. If you go back to 1945, the Royal Canadian Navy had the world's third largest fleet, the Canadian Air Force was one of the world's most effective air forces, and the Canadian troops got the toughest beach on D-Day. But in the space of two generations, a bunch of tough hombres were transformed into a thoroughly feminized culture that prioritized the secondary impulses of government. For example, government health care, government welfare, government social security, government daycare. Canada's equivalent to the American founders of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness became peace, order, and good government. Now, if you sit there and say, well, what's Brother Tim talking about political type things for? As I told you a hundred times, America wouldn't be here if it wasn't for preachers preaching about the truth. <laughs> so the truth is we have been thoroughly feminized in our, even, even brainwashed in many ways in our thinking from our pop culture heroes to just the inworkings of even our government, okay? So if, you, if the Lord is looking for a few good men and you want to be one of God's men, so what does that mean? And what works against it? I told you feminism works against it. Chauvinism works against it. Video and media works against it. And effeminism, being effeminate, works against it. You say, what in the world does that mean? As I was growing up, that's what we would say when somebody was a sissy, okay? Being effeminate. That's a Bible word. So we'll stick with the Bible word so as not to offend anyone, right? So instructions to men, 1 Corinthians 16 and 13. I, I, when I was studying this, I was like, I don't really know where to begin, so I'm just going to begin. And, and it starts with the inspired word of God and what God says about how to be a biblical man, a godly man. 1 Corinthians 16 and 13. I told you I was going to get there. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men. Be strong. Now that's really kind of a strange phrase that we... We wouldn't use today. And I want you to be a man. Quit you like a man. <laughs> I hope to explain what that means because it's got some rich, rich meaning in the, the definition of the word. Okay, this phrase right here where it says quit you like men in the, in the sense of the way the Jews used it was like this. In a place where there are no men, study to be a man. <laughs> Does that not apply to us today? <laughs> or at least where the men are hidden. You have to search to find them. In the James Fawcett and Brown commentary, he says this in relation to this verse, quit ye like men. It says, for ye are effeminate. <laughs> so act like a man and don't be effeminate. I would say, don't be a sissy. <laughs> Matthew Henry commentary says this, this is from the 1600s. Act the manly, firm, and resolved part and behave strenuously. Okay. What we have set here before us is an instruction under the inspired writer. The Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write to tell men to act like men. And that not only applies to men, it also applies to fathers or even boys. You know, fathers teaching their, their children, teach their, the children to act like a man one day. Paul said, when I was a child, I spake as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things, you see. You know, every boy has a high-pitched voice whenever he's a boy, right? <laughs> I can remember my mother fretting, and, and we, we used to sing. Let me, let, me, let me lay a little context here so nobody will think bad of Sister Diane. <laughs> but we used to sing in a trio. It was Mom and Chris and me. Mom played the piano. 
And of course, I was the little fella, and I had the high-pitched voice that sang way up here, you know. And I remember Mama said, oh, I'm just dreading whenever Tim's voice changes. We're going to have to sing all bass parts, you know. <laughs> and, and never once did I think, well, you know, my mama wants me to be a girl. I never thought that. I never thought that. Now, if you put that in the context of today, you'd have to be very careful, especially if your children are exposed to the Internet. You have to be very careful. Some poor little mis, uh, misguided little fellow in his mind might think, oh, well, my mama wants me to be a girl, and so therefore I'll move in that direction. You see? Every boy's voice is a high-pitched voice until he turns 14, you know? <laughs> well, I'm glad y'all are laughing, not throwing things at me. That's great. <laughs> uh, you know, that's just the way it is. That doesn't mean that they're supposed to be a girl because they have a high-pitched voice. Is that not basic biology? Okay. So effeminism is something that works against being a godly man. Now, again, we're not talking about, well, that person needs to hunt and fish. And I mean, it's okay to do that or be, play some kind of sport. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that you need to understand, we need to understand from the Word of God what he does say about being a man. And he's saying, quit ye like men. Okay, I'll go ahead and give you a little clue if you're confused about quit ye. Okay, there's a word that we have in the law when it relates to convicting someone or finding them not guilty in a criminal action. So if the jury finds a person not guilty, they acquit the person. Are y'all with me? If they find the person guilty, they say, well, they're guilty. But we acquit them of all charges. So he's literally saying, acquit yourselves, men. Is there enough evidence there to convict you of being a man? Do you get that? So acquit yourself. Discharge your God-given duty to be a man, to be God's man. Not just any man, to be God's man. And you're not going to be John Wayne, and you're not going to be Rocky, and you're not going to be, you know, pop culture this or pop culture that. It's going to be what the Word of God says. Oh, you could fish, you can hunt, you can play your sports, you can do things like that. There's nothing wrong with that. But that cannot be your identity. Because one day you're going to be too old to go hunting and fishing. And you're going to get really old quick when it comes to sports. You can't do them forever, see? <laughs> so, effeminacy works against biblical manliness. It's something that must be taught out of a child, of a boy. It must be taught out to be effeminate. Okay, you say, well, what exactly is that? Turn back over to 1 Corinthians 6. And you say, Brother Tim, that's just your opinion, isn't it? Nope. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9, listen to what he says. Just a few pages back. Okay, this is the Apostle Paul teaching about appropriate behavior in the church of God, in the kingdom of God. Now listen to all the things that he lists there and what's in that line that's listed. 1 Corinthians 6 and 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, this is a side note, but a lot of people think this is talking about who goes to heaven and hell. It's not. It's talking about who can be effective in the kingdom of God, in the church of God. You can't be effective in the kingdom of God and fornicate. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators nor idolaters. You can't be effective in the kingdom of God and be an idolater. Nor adulterers. You can't be an adulterer and be effective. You know, he says, repent of these things. Nor effeminate. Did you see that? Nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Nor thieves. Nor covetous. Nor drunkards. Nor revilers. Nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And somebody says, well, that counts out everybody. (laughs) 
it does count out everybody except for the fact there's one word in the Word of God that says to repent. So you can repent from these things and be effective in the kingdom of God. Many of God's people have. And then many of God's people have continued in their mad course of sin and completely destroyed and ruined their lives. Thank God for repentance. So we're singling out the sin of effeminacy. The sin of sissiness. Are you with me? Listen, when I was growing up, there were very, very few effeminate men. And it's like every time you turn around, there's effeminacy everywhere. Y'all notice that? Is it just me? I'm not trying to be mean or, or mean-spirited. I'm not mad, but I'm speaking the truth in love to you. Effeminacy is everywhere. Men talking and acting in, in the transgender world, you know, dressing like women. <laughs> You know, God's Word addresses all that. It's in the book of Leviticus that Brother Luke was preaching out of. It's in the book of Deuteronomy. So you understand, effeminacy works against biblical manliness. Doesn't mean you got to go hunt, fish, and sport, and do all those things, but it does work against it. And listen, somebody says, well, well you know, in our southern English, well, I ain't no sissy, <laughs> or I'm not a sissy, but that's not the end of the matter. You may not be a sissy, you may not be effeminate, but are you a man? Are you a biblical man? See, so we're not just picking on effeminacy. We're talking about things that work against biblical manliness. And then the question is, will I go on into being God's man? You see? Now, the definition of effeminate right there where it says, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. Okay? The definition is soft or fine clothing. And figuratively, it is a catamite, which I had never heard that word before. So I began to do a little digging. I looked in the 1806 Webster's, which is closer to 1611, right? And then I looked in the 18, is it 1828 Webster's? Okay, in 1806 Webster's, it says a boy, a catamite is a boy kept for vile purposes. Don't you love the, the above board language of the, the king's language back in those days, you know? A boy kept for vile purposes. We would understand that today in the realm of pedophilia okay there's some some pretty heavy stuff here now but you need to hear it so you can see how poisoned our culture is in 1806 webster put the definition of effeminate as womanish or tender you come on down to 1828 something must have happened between 1806 and 1828 there must have been a lot more effeminate people because the definition in 1806 was like this. The definition in 1828 was even more. 1828, effeminate. To grow or make womanish. It comes from the word foemina, which means a woman. Having the qualities of the female sex. Delicate to an unmanly degree. Weak, womanlike. I like this right here. To unman. To melt into weakness. Those are Webster's word from 1828. I wonder what Webster would say today when he sees what's going on in our thoroughly feminized world. You see, feminism is not the answer for the future. Chauvinism is not the answer for the future. The Word of God is the answer for the future. <laughs> and it teaches you that this is right and this is wrong. Will we accept it or will we shun back and say, well, you know, I know this teaches that this is a sin to be called out. But I'm just a little uncomfortable calling it out. Well, nobody's telling you to get on a podium like I'm doing up here and call it out. 
But when you have an opportunity with your friends and with the ones that you care about, if you care about them in some way or another, if you're praying for open doors, those things will come up. Because it's on everybody's mind. Because it's passing through everybody's little device that they carry around. <laughs> These things are everywhere. He said, well, Brother Tim, it's just kind of hopeless. You know, here we are, a band of, what, a hundred or so folks and you know, it's just so dark out there and California's passing these laws and, you know, these people in Washington are doing this and over there on the other side of the world, they're doing that. Listen, it doesn't matter if we are the last ones that are, are looking to the Word of God. If you were the last single person, as a matter of fact, there was a time in history when there was only one man seeking to do the will of God. And his name was Jesus Christ. And he changed the course of the world. He changed your destiny because he was willing to stand by the counsel and the word of God. So it doesn't matter. He said it just seemed hopeless. If you have an impact on one person, <laughs> praise God. Now, John Gill, who wrote back in the 1600s, wrote about quit ye like men. And he said it answers to the Hebrew word, that's found in Isaiah 46 and 8. And this is what Isaiah 46 and 8 says. Remember this and show yourselves men bringing again to mind, O ye transgressors. Now what's he talking about? That whole chapter is about idols. And they had made idols out of things that were inappropriate. You can make an idol out of hunting, sporting, fishing. You can make an idol out of chauvinism. You can make an idol out of pop culture. You can make idols out of so many different things. You can make an idol out of politicians, out of sports figures. Oh, we have our, the list of idols. You may not have anything up on your mantle at home or something that you bow down before, but in a metaphorical sense, sometimes in a literal sense, you can bow down to so many things out there in the world today. And he says, Remember and act like a man. Show yourselves as a man. Bring it again to mind, oh you transgressors. Understand that we're sinners. Now, the, as I told you a minute ago, the background of the word quit there where it says quit ye like men is to acquit yourself. Don't be guilty of being unmanly. You get that as a biblical man. Acquit means to free from a criminal charge. So there was a charge leveled against those men. And they said, you're not being biblical men. Your boys are not moving in the direction of being biblical men, eventually from boys to men one day. You see, would there be enough evidence to convict us of being a man, God's man? <laughs> you know, I've heard that used in terms of would there be enough evidence there to convict you of, of being a Christian <laughs> in your life? But as men, as biblical men, from the things we watch, the things we say, the interactions that we have, would there be enough evidence to convict us of being biblical men and being future biblical men if we're a boy? Listen, everybody I know didn't grow up in a household like I did where the majority of the time that my father spent outside and away from the farm, and sometimes on the farm, in the, even in the getting up cows, right, Mom? But we don't want to go into that, right? <laughs> Those were tough times, getting up cows. But the majority of the time that my father spent was, was with his wife. You know, and there were, if you knew my father, there was nothing effeminate about my father. <laughs> Matter of fact, I, growing up, I always thought he kind of... his complexion, his face kind of looked like Harrison Ford from Indiana Jones, you know? I thought, my dad's Indiana Jones, you know? <laughs> it was not a movie. He was out there living real life danger on the farm, you know, saving us from danger all the time. But you understand, I, you don't have to grow up in a house like that in order to understand what the Bible teaches about being God's man. But you have to recognize the dangers that are out there. Effeminacy runs rampant through our culture. It's a sin. It's a sin to be repented of. 
I didn't say that. I didn't make that up. The Word of God says, the, the Apostle Paul says, Know ye not that effeminate, adulterers, fornicators, liars, all these different things. He says, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. They can't be effective in the kingdom of God. So repent of those things. You want to be God's man, repent of those things. As we bring our thoughts to close here today, we've looked at just one little thing that prevents a man from being a man. Okay, we just looked at one. There's dozens of things from idols to pop culture to whatever. It's very difficult for me to figure out and pray and ask the leadership of the Lord. So, what, you know, what do we talk about? I believe that with all of my heart, I believe that is something that's necessary for us to talk about. We need to recognize where effeminacy can prevent a man from being a man. And you dads, you think about it. Do, do, you want to, do you want your daughters to marry someone that is effeminate to the degree that they can't provide and they can't lead and they can't persevere in leading? <laughs> think about it. You don't want that. You want somebody that meets the mold of the biblical man. Doesn't mean he sports and hunts and fishes all the time. That's a perversion of what godly manliness is. Okay, you may think about two Boys, two twin boys, Jacob and Esau. You know, we often say, well, Esau was the tough, manly one that was always out there hunting and fishing. And that's who you want to be like rather than the little tent dweller, Jacob, who was kind of a mama's boy. That's not accurate at all. There's no line in the scripture that gives you any indication that Jacob was a mama's boy. It doesn't give you any indication that he was not tough and that he was not capable of leading and doing the things that he was required to do. Now, he did have some issues. There's no doubt there were some family issues going on there. But if you look at Esau, Esau was a complete fool because he hunted and fished to his detriment. He comes in dying one day because he's so, he's so foolish that he stays out so long hunting that he runs out of food and he runs out of water and he comes home, he sells his birthright to his brother, which was totally off base and totally wrong. But you understand, he was so foolish being out there doing things that would be considered manly, but it was to his detriment. You can, be, you can follow things for the pursuit of manliness that lead to your detriment. You get that? Jacob was a, he was a man. He just was a different man than Esau. In many ways, Number one, because he was chosen by God. But even beyond that, you know, he was there to help. He was there to be at home and help uh, tend the crops and do the different things that took place there at home. So don't just look at something like that and say, well, you know, there's the kind of man I want to be like. You don't want to be like Esau. He was a profane fornicator who, who did things to the detriment of his own family. You see? Plus, he was a wicked guy. <laughs> now, as we close here this morning, turn to Genesis 2. I thought, who better to look at in the pursuit of understanding biblical manliness than the first man, right? (laughs) The very first man. You sisters will just have to ask the Lord one day in heaven, well, you know, why did the Lord choose to create man first and not woman? You just have to ask the Lord that, but that's just what he did. And in looking for a few good men, as we pursue understanding what a good and godly biblical man is, I think it is important to us to look at the first man. In Genesis, the second chapter, 
after Adam's been created, after Adam has been, put, has been put in charge, you say, well, how do we know that God wants men to lead? Well, God created the first man and he put the first man in charge of the garden to lead and guide and do the things that needed to be done in the Garden of Eden. Child of God, these are not fables. From DNA testing to archaeology, everything that's out there leads you back to this truth here that there was a first created man. He was not a monkey that evolved into a man. Although some of you ladies may think, well, the guys I know are like monkeys, but I get that. I get that. Yeah, we, we have that tendency sometimes, but or maybe all the time. But there was a first man and he was created and you're from your DNA and from your chromosomes to biology to archaeology. Everything points back to this. True science points to it. So we're not evolving. We're actually devolving from this original first innocent man. In Genesis 2, and we read in verse 17, as the Lord gave Adam instruction in his leadership in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And we're going to conclude our thoughts here this morning. There's a lot I want to say about the first man and what God instilled in that first man and how that first man abused what God instilled in him by committing sin and not taking care of those that were under his authority to take care of or under his leadership guidance to take care of. Primarily his dear wife. (laughs) His wife. Now this is not just messages about how husbands should be good wives and how wives should be good husbands. But we can't miss the fact that God said, here the first man, it was appropriate, it was beneficial for the first man to have a companion, a help meet, an appropriate support, an appropriate partner, an appropriate companion. She wasn't under him in the sense of less than him. She was a companion to him that he was charged to take care of, to be a godly biblical man. Now, I recognize some of the stuff that we've talked about today is so far off of the political correctness realm, which doesn't even, that, I'll just be honest with you, political correctness doesn't mean anything to me. To think that anything good or any direction for right and wrong could come from the area of politics is just laughable, <laughs> especially in the environment we live in today. So get your mind geared away from thinking about political correctness and, oh my goodness, who's going to be offended? And what? The Word of God is offensive. You understand that? I mean, it's not offensive in the sense that, you know, make you want to just, you know, kill somebody. Well, as a matter of fact, wicked people probably do. But at the same time, the Word of God steps on our toes and points to our heart and gets to the heart of the matter. And if there was ever a time that we were living that we need to get to the heart of the matter, this this is that time. You need to, parents, you need to speak with your children about what the Word of God says about effeminism, being effeminate. You need to speak with your boys about that. You need to speak with your girls about what it means to be feminine because today everything's reversed. If you don't, then you may forfeit their future in being effective and productive in the kingdom of God and as a disciple. It is that time. It is that time. Doesn't mean you got to quit doing this, quit doing that, quit doing the other. These activities, it may not mean that, but you know what? It could. It could. Depending on how corrupt or how far gone some of these things may be. So we'll conclude our thoughts there today. And if anybody shows up next time, we'll start talking about Adam. (laughs) 
If there's one or more here that would like to follow the Lord in the New Testament church, we give you that opportunity. If you're a young man or a boy and you want to know one of the most manly things that you can do as a young man or as a boy or as an older man, follow the Lord in New Testament baptism in the church of God. And the call is to the ladies and the sisters and the young women and the older women too. We give you that opportunity as we stand and sing.